cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. I'm your guide, AJ Weinzettel, on this journey of stories showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. Philip, um, thank you so much for coming out today, for being on the podcast. You have a busy weekend ahead of you. I can't, I can't thank you enough for you know make it, making the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks again for reaching out. Um, super excited to be back in town. Yeah, uh, you know when it was announced last year that you're you know being uh, were the MC for uh, IPNC, I started diving into your story, and it's been amazing. Like your your journey. Uh, <laughs> that I've learned about over the last year. And it's just like, I'm still like in awe that, that, that you're here. So uh, it's, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I mean, I, um, I, I think I've been pretty uh, uh, spoiled over the last, uh, last year or so. But uh, I think what, you know, I reflect on is the last, you know, 15, almost 20 years that I put into my professional career to get to me, get me where I am here now. And, uh, so it trusts me when I tell you that it, um, it, 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 it definitely tastes sweet, but, um, I think the, the affirmation of all the hard work that I put in has, uh, has been truly the, the best gift of, uh, of, of my last year and going forward. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Shall I pour some, some wines? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. First so we, wine off the plane, by the way. So uh, straight from the PDX carpet to, uh, to the Mac, or what I like to call McSinville. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully it stands up, uh, you know, and uh, you enjoy it. You know, but feel free to, you know, say whatever you want to about mm. it. You know, you don't have to guess it. You don't have to do... You know, anything is just to sit and enjoy, and normally, you know, wine is oh. this um, is the forefront. Mm-hmm. But in my conversations, I like wine to be kind of on the back burner a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. A lot of apples, fresh. I mean, yellow apple, kind of powdery apple vibe. Some yogurt for sure, a little caramel. But it's very fresh, and it feels young, crisp. Um, yeah. That's that's nice for a little breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, now we're getting bruised apple, uh, red apple, uh, apple pie for sure, um, cinnamon, rounder. I'm going to say that both of these are bubbles. <laughs> um, the second one's definitely more my speed. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to bring bubbles. I mean, if I brought anything other than bubbles, that would be um, hey man, that'd be wrong. People ask me all the time, "How do you drink bubbles all the time?" Is it's really simple. You start in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, one of the stories that really grabbed me immediately was um, it was 2013. You were doing harvest at uh, Masara, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Jason Lett came up to you and he said, um, those are honest hands. Yeah. Now we can go have a taco and a beer. Oh, uh, yeah. I can only imagine kind of what that felt like for you as you, you know, as you had, you know, one of the wine pioneers here in Oregon kind of. Yeah. Um, that was a really special moment. I mean, I don't know how many times Jason has grabbed people's hands and checked them to make sure that they 
did some actually work during harvest. <laughs> um, you know, I think he was just making sure that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm having the full experience. And uh, Jason and I, I think everyone kind of has a unique relationship with Jason. I mean, the family's history and the wines are compelling alone. But Jason has been a very great um, supporter and very accessible person to me and as I'm sure many other folks out there around the wine world. But um, uh, when I came out to Oregon in 2013 for Pinot Camp, um, I, I actually didn't realize that I had like a sponsor to get me out. Um, so Pinot Camp is basically like a three-day crash course for wine professionals and sommeliers that come in from all over the U.S. and the world to experience kind of like um, a crash course in the Willamette Valley. And um, I didn't realize that each person gets heavily vetted and invited by being nominated by a winery. Um, I didn't realize until well after Pinot Camp that Jason actually nominated me. And I, I had no idea. I'd never met him before. Um, so I was shocked by that. But um, I immediately sent him a thank you because <laughs> right. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, well, now i got to buy some of your wine. But um, thankfully, we've, we've already been buying his wines for quite some time. Um, but that's the type of person that Jason is. And, you know, he's. I think in many ways he's just like the cool kind of um, composed but also very accessible. And, and you could tell that his time becomes very um, generous. And at the time in my professional career, in my life, I was very curious about you know, what to do, what I wanted professionally out of wine or out of a career. And it was folks like Jason and many others here in the Valley that inspired me to keep searching for something more and more importantly, the thing that really compelled me. And so that year was a very, um, wild and chaotic harvest with the weather and also just um, my life. But um, it left an imprint on me that uh, I carry with me forever. And I mean, the Willamette Valley in Oregon will always have an incredible, incredible special place in my heart because of that experience. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, Oregon is just a special place. Just yes. In, in general, in general. <laughs> Y'all are weird. I love it. <laughs> Uh, so have you, are you going to start champagne camp? <clears throat> um, I would love to, it's a little more expensive <laughs> to do something like right, that, right, right, right. but I've always dreamed of creating a, a, a way to, to make champagne more accessible, especially for folks like myself with backgrounds of maybe less travel or less accessibility to, um, you know, library or, or luxury wines. So, you know, Pinot Camp was definitely an inspiration to me. I hope in one day that I can be in a place where I can make a decision to get a group of, you know, like-minded wineries or even, you know, very different wineries together to rally around the region. I think that's something that Champagne does really well. I think um, in terms of bringing quality and being respectful of their neighbors, I think it's just the sheer logistics of trying to get folks over there can be challenging. And then right. you say, okay, well, who's paying for all this stuff? And, and it's hard to ask mom and pops to, you know, to pay dollar for dollar with some of the more established commercial properties. So one day, um, I would love to do that. I mean, even on a smaller scale, I've, I've talked with quite a few folks about, you know, need to get you to Champagne so you can understand it a little bit more, but also to like have that feather in your cap. You know, there's so many Psalms out there that I think absolutely adore Champagne and have never been. And I mean, 
I'm sitting here right now, and I think I'd probably drink more Burgundy and have drank more Burgundy than, than a lot of people in their lifetimes. I have never been to Burgundy. And people will ask me, say, how the hell is that possible? Well, no one ever offered to fly me out. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm basically buying Burgundy on a budget, um, rubbing two nickels together. Or, um, and so, you know, I've never sold Burgundy really. So um, it's never really been a focus of mine right. to travel out there. But I am looking for a sponsor <laughs> to take me also, out. And right. I will trade uh, for bubbles. But um, I know one day, one day I'll be able to make it out there. But I just, I know how empowering it is for um, professionals um, to, to be able to walk in the vineyard and to be able to say, oh, yeah, I tasted this with so and so. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I told people about I drink. Uh, you know, Shahalen Ridgecrest in Ridgecrest with Harry. And I was like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And now obviously time has shown it that, you know, that's, that is, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I think those are experiences that, you know, um, I hope that I can open and offer to folks, young folks coming up or just passionate individuals in the future, because I know how important it was to me to have those experiences here. Yeah, no, it is, it's something else to, you know, to walk that, uh, especially Ridgecrest, to walk those, you know, 30 <laughs> plus year old vines, I think yeah. they're 30 years, years old now. Yeah. And it's just amazing. And just the, the history behind everything up there, you know, and, uh, you know, when, you know, taking over the, the realm and, or the, the helms and just like it is so exciting when you get those connections mm -hmm. it means so much more when you actually consume yeah. the wine yeah yeah i've got a lot of stories of this valley for sure <laughs> um, i don't know if we need to um you know maybe uh, omit a few of them but I, I can't tell you i can't preach enough about how accessible the properties have all been to me um so i came out to pinot camp and pinot camp is like i said i think three days and i ended up spending three weeks and it was hilarious because I basically got everybody's numbers at Pinot Camp and I just drove around the valley saying hello to people and right. you know texting them saying hey can we taste can we taste and um, people are like yo you're still here I'm like yeah I'm still here <laughs> um, but but that was an incredible experience because again people opened the doors to me when they absolutely didn't have to and um, I've been in other wine regions that are a little more um, I think uh, structured, I guess I could say, right. uh, or maybe a little more strict about visits. And I just loved how everybody was such an open book here. I just felt like, you know, there's nothing to hide, but more importantly, it's just everything to show. Yeah. And as a, you know, a wine professional wanting to learn everything and just wanted to consume information, um, it was at my fingertips. The people were real, they were honest and genuine. And, um, that, that compelled me. And I mean, I think the wines also spoke to me too, which was another huge plus. Um, I absolutely adore white wine. So like right. coming here for Pinot Camp and then tasting Chardonnay, Grieg, I mean, you know, everything you could ever imagine. I tried it all right. and I was just completely enamored and blown away by the quality level of the wines across the board that I never got in Chicago. I had to come out here to find them. <laughs> and then I had to beg my distributors to bring them to Chicago, which yeah. um, I felt very proud of, of course. Of um, course. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, in 2018, you know, you became, you met with uh, Charles Heisek to become ambassador. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you told him right up front, I'm going to be really honest. This is who I am. You know, go look at my Instagram account. And if you don't like it, this isn't a good fit. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just let everybody know, like, what was their response? And then, like, 
how did their response, like, how did that feel to you? Well, it was a very um, uh, vulnerable position to be in, but I was very calculative in that. I'd been in a professional experience before there where I felt like I kept getting censored or I kept being told to follow the script. And I can't remember tasting a wine that blew me away that followed the script. Um, and I just felt like wine is so organic that, you know, representing wineries or business can also be organic and very genuine and honest. And I just felt like there was times where I'd learned quite a bit about the business side, which, you know, I think is pretty straightforward, but how to, how to, how to connect with an audience is something that I wanted to be a lot more in control of and, and to have a, a greater impact. And I felt like by reading from a script or being censored would only limit my opportunity to connect with, you know, anyone, frankly. Right, exactly. Um, and being a person of color, um, also been in experiences where that came into a factor where I was, you know, passed over for a job because I didn't look the way that they wanted me to look or I didn't look like them. So they decided to go with someone that did look like them. And, you know, I mean, it's heartbreaking to be told that you're not good enough because you don't look like the winemaker or the owner of the winery or, you know, whoever's in charge of the sales team here in the U.S. So, I mean, at that point, I was just kind of like, I don't really give a shit anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> if y'all want me, this is what it's going to look like. And, I mean, I think, you know, my resume speaks for itself, but I had to be very clear about not getting hurt again professionally. Right. I, I did not want to put myself in that position where I was going to put my heart and soul into a business and then later to find out that I had a glass ceiling or my success was going to be capped or it was going to be, you know, the carpet was going to be pulled out from under me for some reason or another. I mean, uh, you know, the wine industry, just like any other industry, is very competitive. And I feel like I choose to be here. It's the amazing thing about our wine industry is a lot of folks choose to be in the wine industry. Um, but unfortunately, there is always going to be, you know, gatekeepers. And if those gatekeepers are from a, you know, a different background or from a generation that doesn't understand being different or differences rather, you know, it, it definitely um, can be heartbreaking. Um, I've, I've, I've seen many opportunities where I was like, wow, I will light it up for this brand or I will light it up. But then to be told, you know, this isn't the right fit. So, yeah, basically, long story short, um, you know, this was before COVID. So uh, I had a lot of Zoom meetings um, that was kind of brand new. And I was like, look, you guys are seeing me. You're not, you've, you've seen my resume. You know, you see me. Um, you obviously like, please go to my Instagram. I'm very active on it, but I'm also very proud of how I represent, I think my, myself on social media. I, a lot of, one of the greatest compliments that I get quite frequently is like, people tell me I'm just like how I am on Instagram. And I'm like, yes, okay, good. <laughs> because I'm not trying to be somebody else or a caricature of myself on Instagram. I'm just trying to show you the pure joy I have for our industry and for the people that I love to celebrate. And I hope that that joy can inspire others to either pass it on or find a little bit of that when they're going through a difficult situation. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like Instagram is my digital resume. Right. You know, I can tell you who I work for. I can tell you what wines I've drank. I can tell you what I've sold. But, you know, if you don't like the way that I'm 
carrying myself on Instagram, then this is never going to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plain as day. Right. <laughs> it's really and, simple. You know, <laughs> you know? and it's, uh, it, it, the, the, today, right, everything is so digital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, you got to be careful what you post on Instagram. You got to, you know, don't don't go off the walls, and, you know, because it, you know, it shows who you are. And people these days will, you know, obviously, you know, Google you and all that good fun stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing how you get to a certain point in life and you're like, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, eh, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think, I think it's sad to reflect on it in this way, but I just been hurt a couple times professionally in a place where I never would have thought it happened. Right. Um, and I just don't wish that for anyone ever again. And I don't ever want to feel that ever again. So maybe I have to put up a guard, but instead my guard was just to be very brutally honest <laughs> and like, look, if you guys don't like this, it's okay. Like just, just tell me, don't right. tell me six months later when, you know, you gave me this opportunity and you're just like, okay, this isn't working out. So, um, I guess to, you know, that never happened. And that's the beauty of my situation with the team at Charles and the team at EPI. I mean, um, there were many instances and I, I moved to New York. It was crazy. My wife was in Chicago and potentially, you know, coming to New York and, you know, it was a lot of uncertainty, but I, but I knew that if I, if I showed them who I was and if I led with my heart, I knew that the, you know, the success would be there. And I kind of, I mean, I bet on myself. I think I, I think I actually lost money my first year on the job because I was spending so much money, uh, you know, kind of just to, to be in New York and to have the experiences that I wanted to have and really soak in the, the, the uh, opportunity. But for me, it was the most incredible investment I could have had. I invested in myself professionally and I gave myself a chance to like go on the grand stage and prove it. And, um, for me, it was so important because the wines, I think, believe they deserved it. Right. I, I tasted those wines, and I was just like, how come nobody knows what I know right now? Right. You it, know? Um, and so I, I was like, I'm willing to invest in this opportunity. But more importantly, I hope that they, you know, they, they, they want me. And uh, from day one, they did and, and uh, constantly, um, you know, communicated that um, – in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, it was a dream come true. And I, and I, you know, would wake up and pinch myself. I can't believe I'm here right now. You know, I can't believe I'm doing this. Right. And they not, <laughs> and they not only wanted you, they were like, you know, I think you went to them and you were like, you know, how do you want me to represent? Yeah. And they're like, no, you tell us how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine how you felt after that meeting. Um, mm. But like, was there somebody that you, did you call your wife or your mom or something to be like, um, holy cow, this just happened? I, I can't remember exactly after that meeting. I definitely, so I'm a crier, full disclosure. <laughs> um, I was so taken aback by that, that I was just like, you know, just, just soaking in the emotions because again, I'd, I'd been in a place for a couple of years before that where I was really questioning if I should stay in the wine business. I was questioning my my uh, talent, questioning you know the decisions I made professionally before, and here I have you know um, this historic property that's you know 
wants me and then also is now telling me to go and like just go out there and crush it we believe in you right so different than any other professional experience i've had before in the wine world and so um you know i i basically you know took everything i learned up to that point and i just cranked it a volume up man <laughs> and, and i was just like okay we're gonna we're gonna show them what they got you know like I just felt like every single opportunity I had to show up for the winery and show them why they invested in an, in an employee like me, um, I had to prove to them 10 times. Right. And um, we did. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's awesome. And, you know, you know, so I just finished reading a book called Champagne Charlie. Okay, yeah. And, you know, it's, this sounds probably off the wall, far-fetched a little bit to you. But to me, reading the book, this does not sound far-fetched at all. So Charles Camille's uh, father, Charles Henry, mm -hmm. was, you know, at one point he got a big white stallion with a bunch of bottles of champagne during, you know, when uh, Napoleon was fighting Russia and showed up in Russia with all this champagne and was like, I'm going to, you know, make a stand. I'm going to stand out. I'm going to, like, get, you know, the word out about Charles Heidegg. Mm -hmm. You know, and I see that and I see your vibrance and I see how you, you know, are different and like stand out. And I'm like, you know, you perfectly fit into the story of Charles Heidzik. I, I, I appreciate that. It's crazy to even think that is even possible. Um, you think about history and lore and you're like, you know, you're, I, I'm, a, I'm a history buff. So like, I'm fascinated with that stuff. And you forget that we have an opportunity to write our own history in many ways. And you never really think that you're making a difference, um, until you actually have. And, um, so it's special to think about that. I, I'm not, the I'm not really the type of person to say like, yes, but I'm sure there's a lot of folks that if they were in the room right now, they'd be like, dude, you, you are champagne. <laughs> um, but I, but I just, you know, I truly believe in the quality of the wines that our team puts out. But also, I just believe in the spirit and the energy that our community has, and I try to really bring it out. Um, one thing I was just thinking about, I've heard that story you mentioned, obviously, many times, and uh, we talk about it at the winery. And um, So I actually have a white horse, now <laughs> thinking about this. So I, I own a white, <laughs> a white horse. And uh, so, you know, in many ways, you do need to stand out. Um, you need to find your own white horse, I guess, and... Right. and um, I hope that, you know, whatever I do inspires others to find their own way, their own path to connecting with either their community or their customers or, you know, whatever they're doing professionally. I think um, I, I may be taking risks in different places than they would or could, but I hope it inspires others to, to, to be honest about what, you know, they believe in and, um, and, and, you know, get to work and, you bust your ass and things, great things can happen, you know, right. it won't always happen, but, um, I think, uh, there's no, there's no, um, there's no like fast forward button to success, there, there is you know, and, um, it, it, the reflection on it makes me very proud. Yeah. No, well, that, that deserves a cheers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Yes. No, thank you. As as I was reading Champagne Charlie, um, so that like in 1852, Charles Heisick was shipping 25,000 cases of wine to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. 
And I look at Oregon and like, you know, a majority of the producers are, you know, under 10,000 cases a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, holy cow, that just boggles my mind that that much uh, champagne was getting shipped in, you know, in the mid 1850s. I, the, I would say the follow-up question would be how much of it was actually paid for. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's the other, you know, I mean, uh, without, you know, risk, there's no reward. But right. um, I hope folks will read the book and or watch the movie. Have you seen the movie on YouTube with I, Hugh Grant? I, um, I, I tried to watch it, but I watched it after reading the book. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, eh, it just doesn't compare. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, to be honest, I, mean, I guess to give the people the abridged version, uh, Charles sent a lot of wine to the U.S., and didn't get paid for any of it so right exactly (laughs) and like that's you know it's a huge risk and he uh borrowed money from his family from uh a lot of other you know close friends and to to start off his winery and of course you know um he had a great vision and dream and you know got it done right paid everybody back but it took you know some time it took a lot of time (laughs) and you know you can't leave out the fact that you know during the civil war you know he traveled down south to try to get his money and got caught up in the wrong spot at the wrong yeah. place. Yeah. And got a freaking arrested and was so in jail. For I'm years. from Chicago, so I always like to joke that like it's really easy for folks that are out of towners to like, get caught up in like the East Coast, West Coast thing, you know. But um, basically, Charles went to New Orleans, and as a first time visitor in New Orleans, you probably pretty much kind of always have to get arrested at some point. So, um, you know, there's 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 very few rules in New Orleans, but there's a couple. But um, I'll leave it at that. Um, but again, part of part of the drama, you know, um, and and part of the 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 legend that is Champagne Charlie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that provides a great segue into the release of Champagne Charlie this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, right. So vintages in seventy nine, eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, eighty five, and now twenty twenty two. Yes, so. This year's release is, um, now that we can fully disclose, it's not a vintage. Um, what's really fascinating is the previous vintages of Charles or Charlie, or we found out we're actually technically never vintage wines. They always had a base vintage right. with reserve wines, yet you know, in order to market it better back then, they put a vintage date on it because it was a truly special wine. It's, it's a legendary wine. When you try 80, you know, 81, 83, 85, 82 out of mag, those are unique experiences that, you know, people still text me or send me a note and they're like, dude, why is this still so good? Or what is going on with this? You know, and it's like, this is because we had a very <laughs> simple thing. We had incredible access to grapes, which we still do. And we had a legendary winemaker. You put those <laughs> two together and fireworks are going to happen. Right. Um, so we were able to look at, you know, the previous Charlie wines that were made. And our chef de cave, Cyril, um, dove into the archives and really wanted to recreate Charlie um, in the in the most responsible and um, and thoughtful way to kind of celebrate Daniel Thibault, our previous chef de cave, who made those wines, um, is just the most authentic way to re-release a Charlie. Yeah. And so, essentially, with that being said, we found out that those previous vintages were multi-vintage wines. So, 
with the laws uh, back then, they were a little more murky. Now we want to be a little more transparent. So there is a base vintage. There is a lot of reserve wine. It's like the opposite of any non-vintage wine. Right. It's like, you know, reserve wine with a little bit of base wine, you know. Um, and I believe this release goes all the way back to 1995 is the oldest wine in the bottle. Dang. So um, you've got, you know, 20, 20, 27 years in the making um, right. in the bottle. That's so, crazy. Um, that's kind of what we do. We love to play with time. We're patient AF and we're also crazy AF. So <laughs> come for us. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, just Oregon sparkling right now is just kind of like kind of getting its grasp and yeah. everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some, some wineries are starting to play with, you know, some reserve wine a little, like mm -hmm. maybe like one or two. And uh, it was just announced this week that uh, uh, one of the 100% sparkling houses, uh, Corollary, mm. they just bought a 57-acre plot mm. that is going to be dedicated completely to, uh, to sparkling. Wow. And uh, it's just fascinating to see what, what uh, Oregon is going to come out with in, the, in the, those terms. I, I agree. I mean, my first time out here in 2013, I had two agendas to be out here. I had to taste every white wine I possibly could and taste every sparkling wine I could. Um, nine years ago, there were a few, few, uh, right. far less <laughs> sparkling <laughs> wines available to me, but it solidified that they were on their way. And as I've seen over the last couple of years, well, I would say over the last, yeah, nine years, the consumer demand plus the, I think the curiosity of the winemakers here have been like, we should do a sparkler for the beginning of our dinners. And it's like, then they make it and they're like, oh, hell no, we're not doing this shit ever again. Um, so, you know, for folks that don't know what it takes to make sparkling wine, um, let me tell you, it is, it is a challenge. And um, think about the space requirements, the labor. Right. There are some tax requirements in the U.S. that they heavily tax sparkling wine per liter versus still wine it's not it's not that crazy but it's still just that's difficult to compete when you have a domestic sparkling wine that ends up on the shelf for 60 to 80 bucks you know i know that that's not easy to do you know you look at these extended triage wines these long aging on lees bottles you know and i respect the hell out of it because it's like yo these bottles take up space in the cellar for five six years right that costs money you know, to, to store it temp controlled in the bottle and all the R&D, all this tasting, all this stuff. You know, the stuff that Nate's doing at Argyle. I'm just like, every time I've been there, I'm just like, wow, you know, um, they're doing it the right way. Um, you know, in terms of putting the effort in. Right. And when I taste domestic sparkling wines, I'm always like, yo, like, you guys put heart and soul into this. Of course. Because you cannot make sparkling wine without some love. So, you know... I can sit up here and say, oh, yeah, we've got reserve wine that's 25 years old. But that's the oddity of Charles, is that we're one of the few properties in the world that is crazy enough to hold on to reserve <laughs> wines for 25 years before they go in the bottle. I mean, it's just right. stupid. But um, I've always adored, you know, sparkling wine, regardless of where it comes from. And um, my time out here in 2013, tasting the sparkling wines, um, it's magical because I knew we had something special. Right. Um, I've been on, you know, got on to continue to taste everything I possibly could from the U.S. and just anything with bubbles, you know. But um, Oregon sparkling has always been um, a nice, like, 
reminder, I think, that it can be done outside of Champagne. And you've got some really incredible new places that we're seeing bubbles from, you know, England, Tasmania um, are, are two of those ones that, like, if folks have never tried those wines, like, you know, let's let's go. You know, let's, yeah. let's check them out. Yeah. Um, like the two wines you blinded on me here, like one is clearly very different than the other. And, you know, the second wine, the only way to make this wine is love. You cannot rush <laughs> this. Um, so, like, I get that. That's a flavor profile, and that's a – it speaks to my heart when I try wines like that because I know that it's not easy to do. Um, so – yeah, no, yeah. it is. It is absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to tasting some bubbles this weekend. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. We've got plenty on the docket. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I can't wait for this weekend either. Yeah. It'll be great. Uh, I listened to one of your interviews, and you talked about a sense of terroir with cigars and then <laughs> yeah. pairing it with, with bubbles. Yep. I know zero about cigars. Okay. All right. Help me out. Like, where should I start? What should I yeah. do? Yeah. So, um, tobacco. Um, cigar production, uh, very similar to wine production. It's very hands-on, very labor-intensive, takes space, needs to be aged, goes through fermentation, right. actually seven fermentations to be exact for tobacco. Um, so I see these parallels constantly as I learned about production with cigars, but it all goes back to the beginning of my time working on the floor at, at my family's restaurant in Evanston, Illinois, Oceanique Restaurant, 847-864-3435. <laughs> Got to plug it for Pops, otherwise he'd be mad at me. But Of course. Um, you know, there'd be nights where we just have, have a long night, just like in any other service, and you want to relax, and my first go-to to relax would be a glass of champagne. Um, there were some times where my pops or someone would hand me a cigar, and then I started saying, you know what, actually, this is kind of nice. It's relaxing. Um, I've never been a cigarette smoker, um, so I didn't really have a connection to tobacco before, but I love the olfactory. I love the ceremony of prepping a cigar and serving it to someone. I remember Googling a cigar sommelier uh, and looking up YouTube videos. They used to do these sommelier classes in Cuba right. where they would, they would literally do a, uh, a competition where you'd have sommeliers that would prep and pair and serve a cigar for guests having dinner, you know, and they would pair it with their, their meal or, or at the end of their meal, whatever they are in the course. And so I guess, you know, going back to your question about terroir, um, for me, Cuba is Burgundy. It is the most, I think, uh, respectful, transparent way to translate terroir in a cigar. Um, it's not really fair to Nicaragua or Dominican Republic, but um, I just personally prefer Cuban cigars because I find them to be more mild, more uh, elegant, uh, a little less on the like peppery side, um, kind of like Oregon's Pinot Noir. <laughs> it just has this beautiful balance to it, you know, right, right. Um, and it speaks to me. And so in terms of pairing, you know, you've got, you've got graham cracker, you've got leather, you've got just earth like soil, you know, dry leaves, obviously, um, and some honey, um, you know, baking, baking notes for sure. Uh, and then you've got the smoke, which is very intense, to say the least, right? right? Can be very intrusive. But I think the right cigar can be really balanced in that regard as well. But what I love with bubbles is you have this bright acidity, you have this texture that's, that's, that's fuzzy, and um, it kind of almost cleanses your palate right. uh, as you take a sip. And so you've got this, 
yin and yang of complete opposites. You got something weighty and heavy, chocolate graham cracker uh, in a cigar. And then you've got this champagne, which is like, you know, lemon, uh, spree candy, um, and, you know, croissant. And you just like, they come together and you're like, holy shit, I have a chocolate croissant now. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's the most epic pairing. Um, I will also say, there's another thing is that I love smoking cigars during the day um, and even for breakfast. And traditional pairings with a cigar would be, you know, rum or whiskey. Or, I can't do that in the morning. I can't no, have can, a couple pours and then get back to my day. But I can drink a glass of champagne and be very, very productive. But also, I get really thirsty when I smoke. So the last thing I want is to have to sip something when my palate is just completely just dry and needs to be refreshed and the last thing i want to drink when i'm smoking a cigar is water because it literally tastes like you know bong water essentially <laughs> right, right. um which is not pretty so a beautiful champagne and i will also say a beautiful rosé champagne oh. is uh in my opinion the perfect pairing with a cigar from cuba okay yeah. well thank you so much for that <laughs> I, I i know you know i know nothing yes so, yes it's you know. an amazing pairing i think um I remember trying it on a bunch of psalms and and the ceremony of lighting a cigar for somebody is is the epitome of, I think, respect for that person and just being able to take care of them and bathe them in love and like, hey, I'm gonna I'm, all you have to do is literally put this thing in your mouth and take a puff of it. Right. I will prep everything. I will select a cigar for you. I'm gonna pair it with the wines we're gonna have. And we're gonna get down to just connecting over the next hour, hour and a half, or however long it takes you to finish your cigar. I love that component because it, you put your phone down because you have to hold the cigar. Right. And your other hand is your <laughs> wine glass. So you're focused on the moment. And um, yeah, it's a cigar. I love the way it brings people together. It creates moments and it forces you to focus on that moment. Yeah, most definitely. I Because of you, uh, I think about three weeks ago, I mm. was getting together with a buddy of mine. Okay. And I'm like, hey, do you know anything about cigars? And he's like, no. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm going to bring a couple cigars. He's okay. like, all right, let's do it. So I actually go into the cigar shop yeah. and I tell, you know, the, the guy there, I'm like, all right. So I've heard that champagne pairs very well with, you know, with cigars. And he's like, no fucking way. <laughs> well, he, he, his eyes just glazed over because I started talking wine yeah. and I'm like, yeah. that's too much, isn't it? Yep. And he's like, no, it was fine. And you can just tell, I was like, okay, I, I, I lost you. Most cigar folks are not wine folks. It's really fascinating. Um, I found that there's not a whole lot of crossover, but I'm doing my best to champion it. And uh, I'm very proud that I inspired you to go in there and ask questions. That's the number one thing I tell people. If you don't know anything, go ask a professional. It's like going to a restaurant, not knowing a single wine on the wine list. Why don't you ask the professional there? You know, right, exactly. Be, be vulnerable for once in your life. Well, and you just know? be curious. <laughs> be curious, yes. Right. Yes, exactly. So I'm very proud that you did that because my number one thing I'll tell people that want to learn about cigars is like, go into a cigar shop, ask them questions. If they don't take care of you the way that you want to be taken care of, go find another cigar shop. Just like if you were going to a wine shop and they don't take care of you, go find another wine shop. Exactly. <laughs> Simple I, as that. I can't. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, yes, I completely agree. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, and talking about being the master of ceremony this week for mm -hmm. IPNC. Oh, it's I brought cigars, by the way, for IPNC. Oh, nice. I had to. I hope they allow smoking on campus. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a campus. There's got to yeah. be hideouts somewhere. 
Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> um, it's kind of got to feel like kind of coming full circle, you know, 2013, you know, Pino Camp, um, Masara, and then just like kind of almost coming back home. I mean, yeah. How, what was your reaction when, you know, the folks at INC <laughs> like asked you to be Master uh, of Ceremony? Yeah. So Amy, uh, I think she sent me an email asking if she could, if we could chat. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, they want me to volunteer at IPNC. I was like, great. <laughs> okay, I've, I've always wanted to attend, but, you know, I guess I can go work it. And she's like, oh, no, we want you to be the MC. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> like, this is a whole nother level. So um, I just, I don't know. I just assumed that, you know, I wouldn't be in this position to, uh, you know, have this opportunity. But here we are, you know, uh, Today's the beginning right. of, of, I think, um, just another magical moment in this journey that I've been able to have. So I was blown away by it. I was, at first I was like, oh, let me check my calendar. But I was like, what am I doing? Yes, I'll be there. What, <laughs> yeah, it, what do I do matter. checking my calendar? <laughs> it's a year away. And she's asking me, like, I can't say no to Oregon, man. Like, right. uh, so much love for the community here. And to be recognized is like, it just feels so special, you know, like. Um, I, I cannot wait to see everybody that I haven't seen in a long time um, and just, you know, say, hey, we, we, we did it or we made it or, or more importantly, just we're still here, you know? Right. And um, can't wait to share that with all the folks that are visiting for IPNC. I hope that they get, you know, a, 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 at least an ounce of, of the love that has been offered to me by the, the community here. So um, can't wait to share that. Yeah, no, that is that is awesome. It's, yeah. it's going to be a killer weekend. <laughs> it's going to be killer. Yeah. Um, I got some rapid fire questions and okay. I'll do the, the reveal if that works. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you don't do harvest anymore, but like when you're in the zone and you're working, yeah. who's your favorite artist to listen to? Oh man. Um, I was cranking on a proposal the other day and I was listening to Tool, which was kind of out of left field, but there's some melodic stuff that, that kind of just helps me focus. But I honestly, like, I listened to Bad Bunny probably, like, so much. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is about him, but his first album just blew me away. And then I've just, like, been enamored by him and everything that he touches and does and how he's so outspoken for um, inclusivity and just... I think personality, character, and people finding their own personal voice. I, I don't speak Spanish, so um, you know, saying that he's one of my favorite artists right now is crazy. But I just I feel it in his voice. I feel it in what he's uh, he's saying that uh, it means something special to me uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, Bad Bunny. All right, awesome. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite indulgent food? Favorite indulgent food. Um, Man, I mean, I know it's 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 difficult, it, and you know if you want to say skip like it, honestly, caviar. I, I just I put it on everything I can. Um, I love sharing it. I love the ceremony of sharing it. Um, I, I, and I should be fully preface here. I put caviar on people's hands and then we eat it directly, so we don't play around with like other carbs or other flavors. You just eat good caviar right. and you drink good bubbles. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen the hits or the yes bumps, the yes, bumps, yes. <laughs> all day. <laughs> uh, if you could choose a superpower, what would it be? 
Oh, man. Um, I think flight, man. Flight is like one of those things where you're just like, man, I'd love to see what it looks like from up there. You know, I think uh, flight, superpower. That's cool. Who is your favorite superhero? Man, um, I'm a Batman guy. Yeah. Okay. Batman, for sure. Yeah, it gives you like the, it could be me, you know, like if, if I had, you know, uh, a gazillion dollars. Yeah. And you know, like to- maybe I could be president too. <laughs> 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 um, but no, I, I think, I think there's, you know, kind of an admiration for being like kind of the bad boy, good guy at the same time, you know, um, I, I just, I, I like his swagger and his vibe. I like the dark kind of world and, you know. Yeah. No, I true. always say that our wines are like the Batman of champagne, like the dark night, you know. You, <laughs> right. You didn't even know you needed us until, you know, we were there. Right. And then when you don't need us, it's fine. You know, you can go and celebrate with somebody else, but, you know. It's not the same. We'll always be there for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was the last book that you read, you know, physically or mm. audio or? <laughs> um, I do, I do a lot of blog. I do a lot of like online reading, um, rather than novels. Okay. I read a lot of car stuff. I'm a big car enthusiast and motorsport enthusiast. So, um, last thing that I read cover to cover would be the Ferrari magazine quarterly, Ferrari quarterly. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Shall I reveal some wines? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So wine number one. Wine number one Mm -hmm. is from Oregon. Okay. It is Lytle Barnett. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hell yeah. I know it. Very cool. 15. Wow. Yeah. I, I think what I love about seeing these wines is just like... Buy these wines and forget about them in your cellar. Like this wine in five to ten more years is going to blow people away. They would never even know that this was a domestic wine if they drank it with five more years of age. I guarantee you. No, I I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, This next one, you know, I I stalked you a little bit. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so I brought a producer that you had. Oh yes, the Bedell <laughs> Entre Ciel et Terre. This is this is grower juice right here. Um, served it at my wedding, actually. Exactly. Um, first wine I ever gifted my uh, girlfriend, now wife, and um, fell in love with this wine as a young psalm, and uh, it was different. Lignier based, and I liked being different. Loved how lush it was and accessible, young. But look at this, like. Right, and it's creamy. It is so creamy, and, oh. just, and having them side by side just to see the, the color differences in them is absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, we actually got a chance to go to the winery and taste it with them a few years ago. Um, that's you know, we were talking about it on the way up here. It's like you're literally under someone's house in their basement <laughs> tasting wine. You know, right. um, so that's really special. Thank you so much for tracking it down. I, I haven't tasted this in a while, and. I only have a few left in my cellar, so I'm trying to be very, um, um, trying to hide them under cases I, so I don't drink them too fast. But had you had this wine before? Uh, I, I, I did taste it before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when I tracked it down, yes, I tasted it. Okay. okay. But I hadn't, not, not before. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Thank very you so much you. for your time, and this has been amazing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's going to be a killer weekend. 
I think so too. We've got quite a few bubbles. Uh, like I said, I'm excited to uh, to bring Charles to uh, to IPNC, but more importantly, bring um, bring that love back that was shown to me from day one here. So yeah. couldn't be more honored to, uh, to to support, to show up, and to uh, to celebrate. So yeah. thank awesome. you so much, man. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks so ha- Cheers. for having me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs>